the youth over here, they've got Chick-fil-A for everybody. It was nice of them, wasn't it? They got fries. and Are those nuggets? Do you got nuggets in there too? Wow. Wow. You guys can all stare at them during the service. You don't have any of the honey roasted barbecue sauce by any chance, do you? Okay. I could eat that like a marathon or right out of the pack. You ever had that, the honey roasted barbecue sauce? Oh, it's delicious stuff. It's good stuff. All right. You got to keep the young people honest. You with me? So that's, that's, how we, that's how we do it. That's how we do it. So hope you had a great Christmas and looking forward to a great New Year. We are excited about that New Year's Eve party. I'm telling you, it's going to be the best New Year's Eve party you've ever been to. You've ever been to. And so, you know, we like to do some giveaways here at the City Life Church. So I thought the way we would do that tonight is that we would do a giveaway to the, the, some of the first people that signed up to help with the setup and the cleanup and the teardown. So we just want to honor their commitment. So Danielle and Pedro Ramos, are they in here? Are they in the room? Are they in here? Do you see them? Oh, there they are. All right. So, so we, got, we got Bass Pro for Pedro. And then I think I have an Applebee's card for Danielle. All right, come on, come on. They were the fun, some of the first names to pop up on that sheet, and so we're like, come on, go Ramoses, all hands on deck. It's, it is going to just be a great night. I may or may not do the electric slide, so you're just going to have to come, you're going to have to come and, and see for you. I can do, I can usually do the ones where they tell you what to do, you know, the one that's to the left, to the left, to the, to the right. I can't actually do it very well, but I can at least follow along because they're they're giving me some good instruction. So we, we do have a, a great time there together. So I hope that you're going to join us. What's that? That's right. And Tim, what's the song that Tim did? Jump Around. Do you know that song, Jump Around, Jump Around? Yep. Yep. He, he, he gets pretty high. So all right, all right. So you have, you have to come. Just saying. Just saying. Like this. You'll be watching it up and down. So we're, ex- we're excited for tonight for, for, for lots of reasons. But one is that we're moving into a, a new series and, uh, and I know I say that every time I get up here, I'm excited for tonight, but you should be glad for that, right? Because you don't want me to get up here and say, I don't think it's going to be very good tonight, right? <laughs> you want to go to a church like that where the pastor's like, are you excited for tonight? No, no, I'm really not glad to be here. So, so, so I know I say that, but I really am. I'm, and with sincerity, I'm excited. Every time we move into a new series, every time that we step into a place where we know that God's going to speak to our hearts, there's an excitement that stirs inside of me, like what David was saying. Wasn't well, the worship set fantastic tonight? David shared, you know, the, the grace of God gives us the freedom to come into the presence of God. And when we come into the presence of God, he has a lot to say. He's not silent. He's got words that he wants to get out into your heart and into your life. And so we know that's going to continue to happen as we get into God's word together tonight. And so one of the reasons why I'm excited about tonight is that this, we're going we're gonna to do tonight, then next week, you know, is our annual sharing service. Did you talk about that already? Next week is our annual sharing, so we do it every year. It's a tradition here at the City Life Church. We're doing the sermon time is an open mic time where you get to come forward and share a little something about what God's done in your life, what it's meant to you to be a part of the church. We're going to do it in Williamsburg for the very first time, so we're going to launch that tradition there uh, next Sunday morning. So we've done this for, for several years, and uh, it's just a phenomenal service. So we do a worship set, and then the whole rest of the service is just people coming up one after another, after another, after another and we ask everybody to take about three minutes right so if you start out I was born in 1972 right you're probably giving us too much information last year we had a person in the back that that when they got over three minutes they waved a flag do you remember that so this year we're gonna have an iPad with a timer on it so we're moving up into technology here so but if you've ever been to one of those services you know it is powerful to hear all of those people share about some of the things that God has done in life so I hope that you're going to come not just to listen but you're going to come ready to share a little bit something as well so we're going to do that next week but this week and probably the week after that and maybe even a third week we'll see we're going to talk about who we are as a church 
So if you're visiting, if you're new to the church, you're going to love this series because you've been asking the question, who is the City Life Church? We want to answer that question for you over these next few weeks. We're intentionally not using slides and media because we want the podcast to stand alone by itself so that we can create something that we can give to people in the months and maybe even the years to come as they're visiting and they ask that question. We're going to be able to give them that on a jump drive or a CD or direct them to the podcast and say, you need to listen to that. So we want it to be standalone so they're not feeling like they're missing something. So, All right, so to get us moving in the right direction because you know participation is a part of church here at City Life. So, so when, when someone's at your house, how do they know they're at your home? Aside from the address that you gave them, aside from your name that's, that might be in the yard or in some capacity or the, the mailbox, but when people are in your home, what makes your home unique? What makes your home different? What makes your home your house and not somebody else's house, David? The smell of coffee. What kind of coffee? Any particular kind? Tra- Trader Joe's, Starbucks, I know, same, same here. French roast, Starbucks, ground for the espresso machine, you're at the Michaud house. Becca? The fire pit and the four-wheelers in the backyard. The fire pits and the four-wheelers in the backyard. We're coming over to her house. My kids are saying, could you get their address? I want to go over that. Fire pit and four-wheeler. Jonathan? Your dog greets us at the door. Are we going to be excited for that greeting? He's, he's doubtful. He's doubtful. There could be slobbering and, and scratching involved. All right, dog greeting you at the door. Yes. Yeah. They have a business where they rent inflatables, and so their, their yard, everything's filled with all these inflatables, and then all the kids, and so they, their, their own traveling sideshow. So the, the, their, their own circus, their own circus. Somebody else. What, when someone is at your home, Amanda. You often play games. You guys are, you're our gamer. You're, your house is where people gather to play games. Games where we keep score and there are winners and losers, right? I know. That's right. We like those kinds of games. Somebody else. Somebody said cheaters. Up, oh, it's already started. Because there's also trash talking with gaming. There's also trash talking. Yes. Your family pictures. It's great, isn't it? Everywhere. Parents, kids, your husband, just pictures everywhere of your family. That's good. Did you have your hand up, Chrissy? Chrissy feeds them. Yeah. A lot of cooking, a lot of hospitality, a lot of meals. And We've Bailey had, and Scooter. Bailey and Scooter are dogs. They're dogs, right. But they're people to you. Totally. They're people to you. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody else. What makes your house? Nathaniel? Maps. You got maps? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's an engineer. Everybody's like, maps? What? Come on. Yeah. I like uh, Alicia talking about pictures. On the wall, that's one of the, the, uh, the distinctives for our house, too, for Father's Day. Uh, when our kids were younger, every year, uh, I would get a new picture of the kids. They would go get their pictures done, and they would appear in my office uh, at the church where we were at before. So every year around Father's Day, I would get that picture, and so we've got those up all along the house, too. I, I've shared this story before, too. We have lots of our wedding pictures up, you know, at our house. And so when we first moved here, the Kearneys came over and were were hanging out with us, and so when they were leaving, we were in our town home, and they were going down the stairs, and the picture was was on the wall. And as they were leaving, one of the conversations they had when they were going home was, "I didn't realize that that uh, that Vanessa was married before," and, uh, and 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 so yeah, you know where this is going, right? And then they said, "And wow, Pastor Fred, he's such a nice person that he lets her have their wedding picture on the wall," you know. 
in the house because I actually had hair then. I was about 20 pounds heavier. Right? It really is me in the, in the picture. And so, so if you've got pictures like that in your house, you kind of walk through, right, and you go, I remember when, right? You got the pictures of what you used to look like, and some of you had the big scary mustache, right? That, uh, there's, there's things in your house. When we're at your house, we know that you're, we're there and not at somebody else's house. There's distinctives. There's, there's things that when you're there, you know whose house that you're in. And it begs the question, when we're in God's house, what sets it apart? Right? Because we talk about the church being God's house. There should be distinctives. There should be some things that set God's house apart from just some social organization or some humanitarian effort. As important as those are in the world, God's house is an important part of this world. And God says, hey, I've got some distinctives. There's some things that when people are there, they should understand where they are because of the environment that they're in. As they look around, as they have experiences, they should know that they are in my house. And then taking it even further, every church should have some distinctives. So we know this is God's house. We talk about that all the time if you've been around us for any amount of time. But we know that there's lots of God's houses in our city. We're not the only church that God says, hey, that's my house. So there should also be some things that make it God's house, but also make this house our house. There should be some things about the City Life Church that we know God has spoken to us that speaks to the unique ministry that we're supposed to bring, the vision that we're supposed to have in our city. It takes lots of different churches to reach lots of different kinds of people. So I was reading this morning, so I want to slip this verse in. And uh, this is out of Revelation 3, 13. What a great verse. It says, anyone with ears to hear must listen. You like that? It's a command, right? You must listen. Those of us who have children, you understand what that is, right? It's not a suggestion, right? You must eat the rest of that food that's on your plate, right? Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. I'm sharing that as we kind of get started in this conversation because that in and of itself speaks to who we are at the City Life Church. We want to be a church that has an ear and a heart that says, I must listen to what God is saying to us. And that when we hear it, we need to understand what it means for us and what it means especially for this church. So, for example, let me give you an example of what that means for us. So, as we launch campuses, you know, we launched the campus in Williamsburg about a year ago. We're going to launch campuses in other areas in this region as we continue to grow. All of those campuses are going to have live worship and live teaching in every location. We're not going to video stream things in. Not that that's bad. That's just not what God's saying to us to be as a church. And the reason is, is because part of what we believe is that God doesn't just speak in advance for the plan that he wants you to enact when you get to church. Sometimes he speaks in the moment and he changes it up. And so we always want to be a church that has live worship and live teaching. So in the moment, if God speaks, when God speaks, and he wants to change the order of service or move it in a different direction, that we've got a service that is designed to be able to accommodate the word of God in the moment. We're going to be a Revelation 3 13 church, not just in establishing our vision, not just in praying about where campus is, all the things that we do and become as a church, we want it to be born out of not some creative idea that we've dreamed up in some boardroom somewhere. We want it to be born on our knees. The Spirit of God speaking to an ear that says, I must hear, God, what you have to say for me about the church that you've called us to put in this region. He's like a quarterback that likes to audible, right? 
It's a big football time with the playoffs and the, and the bowl games. And so you've seen the commercial, right, with Peyton Manning. And I forget what the advertisement's for, but he's driving in the car. And, and all of a sudden there's a, a traffic problem, right? He, so he's audibling, right, and getting a new route to go to a different place to get to where he's going. I think God does that a lot. He gives us a plan. We've got a playbook that we show up with. But then some of you come, and God whispers to our heart, you got to change it up. We don't know why that is. We just know that he's doing something in someone's life in that moment. It's our responsibility to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And some of those moments we get to hear about after the fact. Sometimes people come up and say, that song that you all played at the end of the service was just what I needed to hear. And then sometimes we're able to say to them, that song wasn't on the playlist. You know, the worship leader just felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit and went in that direction. So sometimes we get, but a lot of times we don't know. what it's. And I can't, one day when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to see all the moments that came, all the ministry took, that took place in people's lives because we were a Revelation 3.13 church. We have an ear and we say we must hear what God is saying to us about this church. It's a hallmark of who we are and everything that we become. And so this conversation that we're going to launch into tonight, we're going to share some things that God has been speaking to us over the last few years that sets this church apart in, in, in unique and distinct ways, that, that cause this to be our house, which is his house. It causes us to be a very distinct reflection of who God is and the nature of what he's asked us to do. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 13, 52. Matthew 13, 52. We're going to work out of a couple of verses tonight. We'll see how far we get. Matthew 13.52, this verse, this verse here in Matthew 13.52 speaks about four very unique things that are pillars in our church, the City Life Church. I'm going to read out of three different translations. I'm going to read out of the New American Standard Bible, the Amplified, and then the New Living Translation. I'm going to tell you what those four things are, and then we're going to get started on the first one. So this is the New American Standard, Matthew 13.52. It says, And Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of household who brings out of his treasures things new and old. All right, let's listen to it in the Amplified. He said to them, therefore, every teacher and interpreter of the sacred writings who has been instructed about and trained for the kingdom of heaven and has become a disciple is like a householder who brings forth out of his storehouse treasure that is new and treasure that is old. And listen to this phrase in the Amplifies, it's a parenthetical clause right here. The fresh as well as the familiar. That's a good phrase, isn't it? We're going to be talking about that in a week or two. The fresh and the familiar. Then he added, this is New Living Translation. Every teacher of religious law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings forth from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. And so what we find in this little verse right here, right? When you're reading the Bible, sometimes, sometimes you read the Bible because you're trying to pick up themes and familiarize yourself with who the players are. And, and, and so there's a way that you read that way. And then there's other times where when you sit down to read, you shouldn't focus on how much you're going to get done. You might only get through a few verses. The, the idea is that I want to make sure I don't miss anything. And if you get to something that kind of piques your interest, oftentimes that's the Holy Spirit trying to speak something to you. So I, like, 
like, I have, I've got some catching up to do. I'm a little bit behind from the holidays. I'm reading through the Bible in the year, so I had a breakfast meeting this morning. So I got there early because I wanted to catch up on my reading, right? But then I got to 3.13, and then all of a sudden I just felt like the Holy Spirit was illuminating that verse, right? So, so I was a little bit frustrated because the task-oriented side of me, right, I had some goals. I wanted to check off my list. Reading the Bible just can't be a checking off of the list, right? Because God has something that he wants to say to you. And so sometimes you might only get through a few of those verses. The goal is to spend time with him. The goal is to not to see how far you can get in your reading. All right, we're just, that's a little side note. We're throwing that in for free. All right, so I get to Revelation 3.13, and all of a sudden God begins to speak to my heart about tonight, and so we're working that in. And so when, we, when you get to this verse, if you're not careful, you can just blow by this verse. There's four huge topics in here that God says these should be a part of my if you're going to call it my house these things have to be present now how we go about fulfilling these four things are what might make us different from other churches but here, here are the four you have to be a house of discipleship right he he talks about they go from being scribes to disciples scribes were experts in the law they could tell you this book backwards and forwards they had all the information they had all the knowledge and for some of us that's our journey I, I spent my whole life growing up I didn't make a vow of devotion to Christ till I was 23 years old but I had spent years in the church I knew all kinds of stuff about the Bible I was a scribe but I was not a disciple I had not crossed the threshold of where I said, Jesus, I want you to be the boss of my life. You died for me. I want to live for you. I had never crossed that threshold of saying, Jesus, I want to live the life that you've called me to live. You've got to be a house of discipleship. So sometimes people come and say, do you guys have a ministry of discipleship? And we say, yes, everything we do, right? Because discipleship isn't a ministry and a program. It is the purpose of of the church. It's one of the great purposes of the church that people that come in and become a part of the church, everything that they experience should begin to move them forward in their journey of discipleship. So we have to be a house of discipleship. We're going to spend a lot of time tonight on what that means and what that looks like for us here at the City Life Church. The second one is this you have to be a house of owners. Right? Anybody show up your house and, and, and clean your bathrooms for you this week? Anybody? Because I'd like for you to share who they are because we like to call them for ourselves. Right? Anybody show up at your house and do all your laundry for you? Some of you probably went to bed with dishes in the sink like we did, right? Did you wake up the next morning and, and, the, and, the, and the dish-doing fairy showed up, right? No, no, no. B because it's your house. And everybody else who has their house, they've got all those same chores that they need to do. But by virtue of the fact, whether you're in an apartment, or whether you're a home, even if you're a guest in somebody's house, there's probably responsibilities that you, you have a sense of ownership for the things that have been entrusted to you. You're not surprised when the laundry's piling up and no one's done it. You're not walking around saying, why is this happening, right? You understand it's your responsibility. And raising kids, we have a responsibility to teach our kids responsibilities. And so involving them in that work, we want to create a work ethic and then we want them to understand things that you're responsible for. Ownership, ownership requires something of us. When we call a church our home, it's got to be a house of ownership. We're going to be talking about that. We might get to that one tonight. We'll see. When we call a church our home, it can't just be we continue to come over and over and over for what's in it for us. Something has to happen when we turn and say, what's a part that I can play? How can this just become a church that I attend and become a church that I have a sense of responsibility for? When, when you're in a room like this, there should be something inside of you that says, I have a sense of responsibility for the well-being of the other people in this room. 
I have a sense of responsibility not just to receive from what's happening. I have a responsibility to engage to making sure that others can receive. It has to be a house of discipleship. It has to be a house of ownership. It's right here in the text. And then the last two, which we're, gonna, we're not even going to get close to these tonight, but it talks about it has to be a house where you bring out new treasures as well as old treasures. It has to be a place where there is the, both the familiar and the fresh. And we're going to talk about what that means, what we believe that means, and what it means specifically for our church. So four distinctives that should be a part of every place that's called the house of God. And then as we get into it tonight and over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means for us specifically at the City Life Church. So let's talk a little bit about discipleship because we're a house of discipleship. This verse comes out of 2 Timothy, beginning in verse 19. 2 Timothy 19. Here we got it right here. 2 Timothy 2, 19, I think I'm going to take it down to, to 20, maybe 21. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. Meaning that he understands who's crossed that threshold into discipleship. There's a sense of belonging to God. And all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Right? Because discipleship means that their transformation begins to, you begin to live a different life. Verse 20 says, in a wealthy home, listen to this analogy that Paul gives his young protege, Timothy. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. You understand the play on words there? He says, when, when we begin to give ourselves to this life of discipleship, you become a sacred vessel like one that's made of gold and silver. But then God uses you every day because there's work that needs to be done throughout your whole life. And the sacredness of your life becomes the norm of your life. It's a powerful play on words that he gives there. Anybody grew up in a house where there, yeah, there was a china cabinet? Anybody grew up in a house like that? My mom has this beautiful corner cabinet, right? It fits into the corner. It has glass and, and all of the china that she had that belonged to her mother and belonged to her mother's mother and had been passed down from generation to generation on very special occasions. We would get that china out when we were little. Of course, we didn't get that china, right? Because the adults got that. But, but, but the adults got to use that china. You just had a sense of the, the china's coming out of the cabinet. When we played in the house, we weren't allowed to go anywhere near, right, that cabinet. Well, my aunt, so one of the places that we go to, my Aunt Mary, who's my, my brother's uh, sister, she breaks out on Christmas Day. She, every people coming through her house all day, every day, she breaks out all of her china. And even the little kids get to use it. I was so nervous. Like, even though our kids are now older, right, they're 12, 10, and 8, they're walking with the china. I'm thinking, God, I know that you're real. But if my family breaks this china, right? And so they're putting it down on the table. They're bumping into it. Like at one point, one of our kids, they had, they, they had their foot, you know, on the, on the end table. And their toe hit the plate. And it went up in the air and fell back down on the table. I was like, <gasps> and there was no oxygen in the room because everybody takes this breath. One of Fred's kids is going to break up Mary's china, right? We, have this, we understand when we think about things like that, growing up and in our home. Maybe you have some things in your home. We understand this idea of something being sacred. We understand this idea of something being special. And God says to you and me in this verse, 
that could be you with me. That could be you with me. You, you could be that for me. And, and when you step into this place, which I think is a, a metaphor for discipleship, when you step into this place of being my disciple, I'm not just going to take you out and use you for special occasions. The sacredness of your life now warrants your life to be put into the play. Every day there's stuff for you to do on my behalf. But one of the things I like about this verse is that it talks about the wooden bowls in relation to the gold and the silver bowls, and they're all in the same house. I find, that, I find that curious, right? It wasn't as though the, the, the ones that were common, which, which speaks to humanity, which speaks to a, a life that's pursuing its own human nature, those weren't in a different house, in a different place. They were all in the same house. And I think Paul there is saying to Timothy, hey, just because people are in the room doesn't mean they've begun the journey of discipleship. Just because they show up, just because their name is on a membership list, just because they're filling a seat, just because they're present, they're in the house, but they're not yet begun the journey of discipleship. As a church, we want to be a place where we say, come on, the doors are open wide for anybody, no matter what they're struggling with, no matter what their lifestyle is, no matter what their challenges are. We want all of these seats to be filled with people from all different kinds of walks of life. We want this house to be filled with a great crowd. And some of the people that are going to fill those seats, they're going to be like the wooden bowls. They've not yet begun their journey of discipleship. For them, their humanity still defines their life in every way. And we want to be a place that helps that person begin to realize God has a plan for your life. And he wants you to wake up every day with a sense of being sacred to him, with a sense of being cherished by him. We want you to begin to wake up every day with a sense of knowing God as your best and closest friend, a life-defining, passion-filled, moment-by-moment governing relationship with the creator of the universe. That should be the hope that you're living for every day of your life. And we want to be a church that helps people understand that. Hey, you can come in. You can be a part. And we're excited about that. But we're really excited about the possibility of you beginning your journey of discipleship, of going from being one of those treasures in the kingdom of heaven that God begins to use, your life begins to have purpose to begin to change the world around you. We're going to be a house of discipleship. We tell people when they come to visit the church when we do what we call Friday Night Life, which is where we talk about some of these things that we're going to be talking about in this series. We, we talk to them about this idea. If you're looking for a church where you can be a casual attender, you're going to be really uncomfortable here, right? We, we want to be a, a community of people that we're given to relationship with one another, running passionately for the things of God, believing that there is a sacred work that each of us has been given to do on this earth. Okay. All right, let's keep going. So let's talk a little bit about discipleship. We've got a really distinct idea about what that looks like. It's part of what makes... His house, our house. It's part of what makes it the City Life Church. So I'm going to give you three numbers. Now, some of you have heard this before. For those of you who've heard it before, I'm hoping that you're going to be motivated to keep hearing it because our goal is for you, if you call this your church home, to be able to own this part of the conversation, right? If for some reason, right, I were to faint from hunger because the young people didn't share their, their Chick-fil-A with me, right? If I were to just pass out here and the mic were to roll across the floor, that, that somebody here would be able to say, I'm going to pick that up because... I know how to have this conversation. You with me? If you call this your church home, you should be able to own this part of the conversation. So we're going to keep talking about it, even if you've heard it a thousand times before, because we want you to be able to walk out those doors and be able to have this conversation with other people. 
want you to have this conversation. If you're new, this is going to talk to you about one of the most cherished parts of our church. We want to be a house of disciples, but it's just not going to happen by accident. We've got to have a strategy. We have to have a plan, and we have one of those in place. So I'm going to give you three numbers. They're called the 1, the 6, and the 12, right? You can remember that, right? The 1, the 6, and the 12. So in December of 1990, I graduated from college in 89. I was a bartender. My parents were awfully excited that I was tending bar with my college degree. And I'm in this bar in Richmond. The band's playing. The music's blaring. It's, it's early into the morning hours. And all of a sudden, I feel God's voice. Never, I've never heard his audible voice, but I feel it. I felt his voice ask me this question. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Just right out of the blue. God's voice is unmistakable. Now, I've been in church long enough where I knew that I did not want to engage in a conversation with the creator of the universe because he's, he's, he, he doesn't just ask one question and then leave us alone, right? It's, it's a conversation that gets started, and it's going to be going for a long time, right? Like some of your friends who have lots of words to get out, right? Our, our, Claire's a talker, right? She wakes up in the morning. She's up for 30 seconds. She's ready to roll. Let's have a conversation, right? So, and, and she doesn't stop talking until she falls asleep, right? She's just talking all the time, right? That's a lot like God. He's got a lot of words to get out. And I didn't want to engage in this conversation because I knew I wasn't living the way that I was supposed to. And so I just kept putting it off and putting it, but there's a persistency to God. And, and we thank him for it. You with me? He'll chase you down. And we need him to do that. And so, so, so he keeps asking me this question over and over and over. And I began to find that he was asking me this question in lots of different settings and lots of different places when I was in lots of different states of minds. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? So sometimes toward the end of that summer in, in 1990, I said, you know what? I remember I was walking back to my car after one of my shifts early in the morning. And I said, you know what, God? I do believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe he's the savior of the world. I believe he died for the sins of the world. Went through this whole list of all the stuff that I believed. And God said, well, if you believe those things about Jesus, don't you think you ought to at least take the time to read what he had to say? Right? Just, just read what he had to say for it. That's all I'm asking you to do. Right? It's powerful, isn't it? God just asks us just to take the next step. Just asks us to take the next step. So I went home, found a Bible. My mom had given me probably for Christmas or something, and and uh, it was called The Book. Remember that? It was kind of a loose translation. It was called The Book. Remember when those came out? And so I, uh, I opened it up and started reading in the book of John. And I just started reading. Didn't change the way that I lived. Didn't change. I just, I just started to spend some time with the living Word of God, right? The book of Hebrews, it's alive and active in the King James. It's quick and powerful, penetrating, dividing soul and spirit and joint and marrow, judging the attitude and the intent of the heart. It's a living presence that we begin to engage in. God's tricky, isn't he? He's sneaky. He's sneaky. So I get to John 10. I get to the 10th verse in my journey where Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure. And see, I began to realize that my whole reason for not wanting to be a Christian is because I believe that would be settling for less. I had bought into this lie and bought into this myth that many young people do, that if you're going to be a Christ follower, it means that you've got to give up everything fun and worth doing in this life in exchange for the life that's to come. And so I said, hey, I'm not willing to make that trade-off, right? I'm just, I want to enjoy this life, and we'll worry about the other one later. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm confronted with the truth of Christ, where he says, hey, Fred, 
My way is living life to the fullest possible measure. My, my way is the way that's going to be the most fulfilling. The life that you're living, you're the one who's actually settling for less. And all of a sudden, I had this revelation. And I started to get angry because I realized, right, that I had bought into a lie. I realized that I had bought into the deception that the devil had been whispering in my ear for years. And, and that really became a turning point for me. And so when I began this journey of becoming a Christ follower, I realized I was leaving a life of mediocrity and running headlong into a life where Jesus says, hey, this life that I'm going to lead you, hey, it's, gonna, it's not going to be without hardship. It's not going to be without disappointment. It's not going to be without pain. But but if you become my disciple, if you follow in my footsteps, one day when you breathe your last, not only is paradise going to be promised to you, but you're going to be able to look back onto your days on this earth and say, I lived that life to the fullest possible measure. I got every bit of life out of that journey that I possibly could. I want that to be the story of my last days. I want that to be the story of my last breath. And we want to be a church that says that to other people. In this series that we just did in Evergrace, we kept talking about the good news. That's part of the good news. And it gives birth to the vision statement of this whole church. Heaven now, heaven forever. The life that Jesus promises is for the life that's to come, but it's also for today. A phrase we like to say is that eternal life isn't just measured on the time continuum, it's measured on the depth continuum. And if you are reluctant, like I was, for the first 23 years of my life, to give yourself headlong into this life of being a fully devoted follower of Christ because you're afraid of the stuff that you've got to give up. I, I had a list, right, during my journey. I literally made a list on a piece of paper of the stuff that I knew that God was going to ask me to stop doing, that I knew were inappropriate, but was part of me just being a pleasure seeker. I had a list of paper. I knew that I was going to have to give them up. And then it was just all of a sudden I looked at that list. I was like, really? That, that's what's keeping me from, from the promises of this book is that list. And all of a sudden that list, you realize it, it becomes, it becomes this moment where you go, what have I been doing? One of my biggest regrets in life is that I didn't do it sooner. So if you're one of those people that let the truth of God's word begin to become a revelation in your life where you say, I'm not going to settle for mediocrity any longer. The creator of the universe has a plan for my life and whatever he asks me to lay down and whatever he asks me to pick up as I begin to give myself to that journey of discipleship, I'm going to begin to experience a life that Jesus himself, the creator of the universe, come on with the Father, he himself by his own mouth said, this is the best life that you could ever hope to have you could ever hope to have. That's the one. That's the promise. That you might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure. Heaven now. Heaven now. Heaven forever. It's a big one, isn't it? So you could leave here and go, I want that, right? You could leave here and say, I want that in my life. You could leave here saying, I want that dream to be my reality. You, you could leave here and say, I hope that happens to me. But we're a house of discipleship. We don't want to leave you with those longing questions. We don't want to leave you with this, this, this curiosity that says, I wonder if I'm going to get that, right? We, we want to be able to tell you some things that you can leave here with a sense of empowerment that says, now I know what I must do. Jesus has done his part when he died for your sins on the cross. And when you make a vow of devotion to him, the heaven that's to come, the heaven forever part with a capital H, that's already dealt with. That's given to you. There's nothing you can do to work your way into that. But the heaven on earth piece, that's about the way that you live. That's about the choices that you make. 
Now, that's about the life that you choose to, the heaven now part, you have a lot to do with that. You have a lot to do with that. And so I believe that when Jesus was on this earth, that he gave six commands. And that all of the teachings of Christ can be summed up in six basic commands. In fact, I believe that as you study scripture, that every teaching that Jesus gives, they all tie back in to one of these six. And we're going to get these, when we're, the series is done, we're going to get all these notes on the, on, the, on the website for you so you can pull down all these verses. And they're on the, some of them are on the website already. But the first one is this. He says, follow me. That was his first great command. He said to people, if you want to have this life, this abundant life, this life that you can live to the fullest possible measure, then you've got to follow me. There's a lot of things that are going to compete for your attention. There's a lot of things that you can follow. There's going to be a lot of religious teachers that come along and say, follow me, but you've got to be willing to follow this one, Jesus said of himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father but by me. The book of Acts, it says there's no other name given amongst, under heaven amongst men whereby we must be saved. Jesus says, I'm it. I'm just, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. If you've got to be willing to follow me, you've got to be willing to make a vow of devotion to me, enter into this discipleship relationship, and give yourself to the life that I want to teach you how to live. So that's it. follow me. That's one of his great commands. The next great command that he gave is to love God. So it's towards the end of Jesus' life. The chronological context of the Bible is very important. It's the last week of his life, and, and, a, and a religious leader comes up to him and says, hey, could you tell me what the greatest commandment is? Right? And many of you are familiar with this. So he says to this religious leader, he says, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've got to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So just a few days later, he's with the disciples. And he says to them, a new command I give to you. You've heard us talk about this a lot here at the church. He says, a new command I give to you. Now, this would have piqued their interest, right? This is part where the chronological context of the Bible comes into play. We understand that that would have piqued their interest because he just gave a couple of days ago the two biggest commandments, right? He just, they, three years of ministry, he finally unveils. These are the two biggest commandments. That, that, and he said, all right, I got a new one. So they would have said, oh, what's that? Is he going to add? Is he going to give us a third? But he didn't give them a third. He changed the second. He said, you know, before I said love your neighbor as yourself, but, but, but a new command I give to you, love others as I've loved you. And if you understand the uniqueness of those words, you understand that's a whole different kind of loving. Right? If you're only standard in life, which is a great start, which is a great start to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And the Bible talks a lot about that. But, but there's a, an, another, another place of love that he calls us to. To, 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 to love other people to the way that you love yourself in the degree that you love yourself. And I know a lot of people that don't love themselves very well. And so right, their capacity, their standard of love is very low. So Jesus says, hey, I want you to love others the way that I love you. It's a whole nother kind of love that he calls us to give ourselves to. So this idea where Jesus says, follow me, and then he says, love God, then he says, love others, and he gives us a standard of what that love looks like. It's the same way that he's loved us. And then we get to... Matthew chapter 5, 48, and we find some of the most daunting words in all of Scripture. I say it in the King James because it just sounds more serious that way, right? Be ye therefore perfect, right? How you, we doing good with that one? How are you doing with that one, right? He says, be perfect. That's a big one for us. We talk about what's your M548 priority here at the City Life Church. Because Jesus says, hey, you're not ever going to get there, but you can get closer than you are right now. Five years from now, you shouldn't be the person that you are today continually with the expectation of growing beyond recognition. Ten years from now, I want to be able to look back at who I am as a pastor and a father and as a devoted follower of Christ and say, I've grown. There should not be something in your heart that says, this is good. I'm good right here. 
Just how I've changed, this is enough for me, right? It's not enough for God. He's excited for how far you've come, but there's so much more that he wants to do in you and through your life. Follow me, he says. Love God. Love one another. Be perfect. And then he says the Great Commission, which many of you are familiar with, go into all the world. He's saying, hey, this good news that you're discovering, this life with me that you're discovering, you got to tell other people about it. There's other people like you that are living life who were like you were at some point in your life and you didn't know about it, but someone took the time to talk to you about it. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a coworker. There's somebody at the Williamsburg campus that, that's relatively new there and, and we were out to lunch with them a few months ago and they were telling their story and they're in the Coast Guard and, and, uh, and, and he wasn't a Christ follower and, and, and one of his guys on the boat asked him, the question. Uh, it says, hey, do you have anybody that's praying for you? And he says, no. And he says, well, you do now. And that began his journey. That began conversations that he began to have about, but what is this prayer? Who do you pray to? And the guy just began to, not beating him over the head with the Bible, just began to talk to him about the things that we're talking about tonight. And he began to go on his journey. He made a vow of devotion to Christ. His wife made a vow of devotion to Christ. Come on, it's a beautiful story. You're supposed to be a person on the boat in life. And that when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, like the Revelation 3.13, that you have an ear to hear his voice when he prompts you, that you begin to engage in those conversations and you become a part of helping other people be in their journey. Sometimes people have been on the journey and trauma and things happen in their life and then they get stuck and God's going to use you to come on to help them restart their journey. There's got to be something about us that says this life, all that I have and all that I can and all that I am, God wants to leverage it for eternal purposes. It doesn't mean that we're not going to enjoy things about this life that are only going to remain in this life and have hobby and interests and all those things. Hey, we're supposed to have those things. That's part of what God gave to us. But the things that are most important to us should be the sacred purposes. The things that are most important are the things that come from my life because God's made us a vessel of gold and silver and there's eternal purpose that's supposed to flow from our lives. There's work to be done in the kingdom of heaven and God wants you to be a part of it. And number six is this. He says, be filled with the Spirit. That's a big one for us at the City Life Church. Because the things that God's going to ask you to do, you can't do it in your own strength. The things that God's going to ask you to do are going to be so much bigger than yourself. It's like the story of David when Goliath was in the valley and he was taunting the, the army of Israel. That whole army was cowering because they only saw themselves for what they could accomplish in their natural abilities. And then this young boy, David, comes along, but he doesn't see the world through the filter of his own natural ability. He sees the world through the filter of God's abilities. And so all of a sudden, Goliath is small to him because he sees him in light of God, not in light of himself. And, and God wants us to step out into this world and say, God, I want you to lead me into places that are so much bigger than myself that I'm desperate for the power of your spirit to be at work in me to accomplish them. There should be something inside of us where we have an appetite and a hope and a dream for a destiny that demands dependency on the power of God. We launched this year by digging around in that story about after Jesus had raised himself from the dead and he finds Peter in the boat and he tells him to cast the nets and then they've been fishing all night and then all of a sudden they've got all these fish and we, we taught this phrase that, that human effort in response to a sovereign command brings about a divine result. There is human effort. There's work and there's labor to the kingdom of God. But when we do it in response to a sovereign command, there's a supernatural empowerment that comes. And then all of a sudden we begin to see a divine result that's so much more than what we could ever do from our own natural giftings and abilities. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me because, right, 
If you look at your life, like I look at my life, and maybe in reference to other people that have all this natural ability, like it's like the people that you grew up with and they never had to open a book and they always got A's. We don't like those kinds of people, right? That's where Jesus talks about loving your enemies, right? But we all can relate to that in so many ways. We see our giftings, we see our talents, and we, and we say, I'm not going to be able to accomplish much in my life because I just, I'm not one of those I'm not one of those gifted people. And God says, hey, that's okay, because what you're going to accomplish in your life really has little to do with your giftings. It has to do with my giftings at work through you and in your life. Paul Paul wrote in one of his letters, the the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. It's in you. What kind of power is that? I think it's a lot. And it it creates a sense of excitement. It's what Vanessa talked about in the wrap-up to the worship set. It creates a sense of expectancy in us. So Jesus steps onto the scene 2,000 years ago. He says, hey, i got a promise for you. It's the one. It's the big promise. It's the one that all of you should be living for. It's eternal life. It's heaven now. It's heaven forever. It's life measured not just on the time continuum, but on the depth of continuum. And if you give yourself to this life, you're going to experience this life to the fullest possible measure. It's the one big promise that should be your greatest hope and your greatest desire. But he doesn't leave people wanting. He doesn't leave people curious about how they can have that. So then all throughout his years on this earth, through all of his ministry, he keeps giving these six commands over and over because he wants us to understand as we give ourselves to the fulfillment of these six commands, we'll possess that promise. You show, you sh- you show me a person who's given their life to full devotion to Christ. You, you, you show me a person who's loving God with other heart, soul, mind, and strength. You show me a person who's, who's working hard every day to, to, to love other people the way that Christ has loved them. You show me a person that's got an appetite for personal transformation, that's saying, hey, I want Matthew 5.48 to be a hallmark verse of my life. I want to keep growing. I want to keep changing. I want to keep growing. You show me a person that says, I want to be a person that has a sense of being sent out into this world by the creator of this universe to do a sacred, divine work. I want to be a part of the Great Commission. I want to be a part of how Helping, pointing other people. You show me that person. And you show me a person that's, that's saying, and I can't do it on my own. I've got, I'm desperate for the Spirit of God to be at work. You show me a person who's living their life to fulfill those six commands. I'll show you a person who's walking in the promise. That the promise isn't just a dream, it's their reality. The promise isn't just something they're hoping is going to happen. They experience it all throughout their life because they're giving themselves to the fulfillment of those six commands. All right, so I want to do this, then we're going to have the worship team come back up. So then there's the 12th, right? Because you might be saying, right, which is a fair question, those are a lot of commands, Fred. And some of those are pretty big commands. How am I supposed to get started on that? That's where the 12 come into play. Some churches talk about them as, 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 as spiritual disciplines. We like to call them pathways. I like to call them pathways because you find this powerful verse in Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah, it's verse 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. In one translation it says, don't forsake the ancient pathways. Now this... It's one of the reasons why we call these, these, these 12, I, just, I want to give you pathways, is because these are the things that we walk in every day. As I give myself to walk in the paths of these 12, then I'm going to fulfill the six commands. And as I fulfill the six commands, I'm going to possess the great promise. 
we want you to have an idea of what you can do as you begin to leave this room so that the promise of Christ for a life lived to the fullest possible measure isn't just something that you hope for. It's something that you're taking hold of because you're doing the things that Christ has told you to do. So we talk about 12 pathways here at our church. The first four you're going to be really familiar with. It's scripture. It's reading the Bible. It's prayer. It's worship. And it's fasting. This fast that we're coming up in January. Fasting is a regular part of our lives here at the City Life Church. So it's, 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 it's scripture, worship, prayer, and fasting, the next four have to do with relationships. In fact, one of them is called relationships. It means that, that you need to be a person in the room that's making yourself vulnerable to other people, that you're pursuing relationships with others and that you're letting other people pursue relationships. with. So there's relationship. There's gathering. That's showing up for moments like this, being a part of the family of God and experiencing the presence of God in corporate settings. There's gathering. The Bible has so much to say about gathering. The Bible has a lot to say about reaching, which is what we've talked about a little bit already. God wants to use you to help reach other people. And then this fourth one, we don't like this word a lot, but it's one of the pathways. It's one of the ancient pathways. It's called accountability. There should be people that you've invited into your life, a very small group of people that you've given them permission to say no to you. Right? I have people in my life who I've given them permission to say no to me. All of us need people that we trust, that we're talking to them about our big decisions, that they can say, I'm not sure that's quite right. I heard a pastor tell me a story about a year or so ago that they were going to, they had moved out of state. They had left a church that they were a part of and, uh, and under difficult circumstances. And there were a lot of people that were displaced by his departure. And so because he has a pastor's heart, that a lot of these people never found their way back into uh, uh, another church. And so he was going to start coming back and, and, uh, and starting a service in this particular city on, on, on Sunday nights. And, and he knew that God was saying, don't do that. He knew. He, God was saying, I don't want you to do that. Don't, you, don't do it. But he kept on anyways, right, doing it. Because I know you've never done anything like that before, right? And so he kept on doing. He kept on making plans for what he knew he wasn't supposed to do. And he had a group of people that he had given permission to say no to him. He didn't even tell them that this was happening, right? And God spoke to one of these men and says, hey, I want you to go to so-and-so and tell him that he's doing something that he's not supposed to do. He had no idea what that was about. No outward sign. He went to this person and said, hey, you know, I, just, I think God gave me something to share with you. I don't know if it's going to make any sense, but this is what I feel like God said to you. You've got to stop doing what you're doing. He's telling you, no, don't do it. And that was the turning point for him. That's what enabled him to pull back from what he knew that he wasn't supposed to do. And then he came through his children that were going to a church that he didn't know about in this particular city. And then when he was home for vacation, he got to go visit that church. And then all of a sudden God says, hey, you're not supposed to start a church in that city because you're supposed to be a part of helping this church get started. There's already a place that I've called to gather those people that have been displaced. Our plans can seem like they're really good, right? There's the idea of sin that we get the really bad stuff that we're not supposed to do. But a lot of times sin is the stuff that we think is good and noble, but it's not what God has for us. And sometimes it's because it's interfering with other stuff that he's got to do. And we need people in our life who love us enough to say, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Accountability. Then these, the last four. There's generosity, there's stewardship. Those are different. Stewardship is, is being a good caretaker of what you've been given. Generosity is giving a lot of it away, right? Those are two very different things. We're going to be talking about that in the coming year. All of these pathways, we're going to be digging around in them all year in 2013. And then the last two are service and rest. Rest is a big one for us. We, 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 as a church, we've got to stop talking about Ten Commandments and really just practicing nine of them. Right? 
We're not going to be a church that fractures the family that we're supposed to build. We're, going to be a, we're not going to be a church that wears people out. We believe that's one of the reasons why we moved the service to Saturday nights in, in uh, December of 2008 and 08 when we made this move because we wanted to create a true day of rest for people. I was talking to somebody this week on the phone doing one of our, our visitor calls, and they said, yeah, coming up you know, on Saturday nights and, and not going to church on Sunday morning feels a little different. I said, give it three weeks. You'll never go back, right? <laughs> Some of you are desperate for rest. It's an ancient pathway. It's interesting, isn't it, that when we begin to walk in these pathways, even if they're new for us, there's just something about them that feel right. Because there's an immaterial part of who you are, the part of you that's going to live forever, the part of you that longs for these 12 things, the part of you that's eternal, the, 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 the part of you that God just wants to breathe on and bring to life. That part of you is so hungry for these 12 paths. Because that part of who we are, it's, it's, it's uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where God says he's put eternity in the hearts of people. That, that we're born with this capacity for the, for the eternal. When we make a vow of devotion to Christ, we like to say we take our first spiritual breath. And the spirit of God comes alive inside of us. And that new life, just it wants to grow and it wants to mature and it, it wants to have its moment. Because it really is our ultimate identity and it's longing for these 12 pathways. And it longs for these 12 pathways because this part of who we are understands that if we walk in these 12, then we're going to fulfill these six. And if we fulfill these six, then we're going to have this one. You've got to be able to tell that story that I just told to people. You with me? You might tell it in a different way. You might use it in different words. But if you call this your church home and you're at lunch with a friend at work and they begin to ask you a question, what, you know, I've, I, somebody was talking about being a disciple day. What does that mean, right? I was having a breakfast meeting this morning and, and somebody said, you know, how cool would it be if we had cards that just the one, the six, and the 12, right? You could just give it to people. This, this is what God, how God wants you to live your life, right? We've got to talk about getting those things into play. That was a good idea, right? The one the 6 and the 12. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to just close with one song. We want to be a house of discipleship. I don't know what kind of church you're looking for, but I hope it's a Matthew chapter 13 church. I don't know what kind of church you're looking for, but I hope it's the kind of church that when you're there, you say, I know that I'm in God's house because discipleship is a priority. I know that I'm in God's house because it's a house of ownership, which we'll pick up with starting next week. And then, and then I know that I'm in God's house because they talk about both treasures new and old, and we're going to explain what those things mean. We want this church, as God moves through it, we want Him to feel at home because we're doing the things that makes it His. And we want it to be a church. We want it to be a church where we pick up some things. That's when we talk, talk about new treasures and old treasures, things that set us apart, things that make us distinct, things that make it. We don't want to be any other church in our city. We want to be the City Life Church. We want to be the City Life Church. And God has given us a message, and He's given us a work to do that He's not given to anybody else, and we want to do it well. Stand with me. Father, we know that, that, that even in this house, there's, there's pictures on the wall. There's pictures on the wall. Not pictures that we can see. Not pictures that somebody can, 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 can put on Instagram. But they're pictures nonetheless. And those pictures tell the story of the people that are in this room. Relationships and 
friendships. There's pictures on the wall of, of us walking with you back when we were much younger in the faith. They're just, it's the, the, the room is lined with pictures. Oh, God. For everybody who's here tonight and you're calling them to be a part of the City Life Church, Father, we want their picture to be on the wall in some way. On the wall with us, on the wall with you. And we want to, God, for, for this church to pick up the unique things that, that make us who you've created us to be. How we go about doing it. Our approach to leadership and and our approach to, to certain ministries and the things that we're going to be passionate about, God. We don't just want to be a church. We want to be this church. We want to be the church that you've called and created us to be. God, we want to be a church that has an ear that must hear what the Spirit of God is saying and to understand what it means for this house. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.